What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Alternative Blacks podcast. We are going live every Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Instagram, so make sure to check us out there. Before we get into the episode, we want to give a quick shout out to our main sponsor, Oak Brook Brewing Company, located at 628 Park Avenue in Reading, Pennsylvania. Make sure to check them out at oakbrookbrew.com. On today's episode, we are bringing you an update on news. We are playing the sample game yet again, and we will be talking about the 2019 movie See You Yesterday. But before we get into any of that, that's right. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in. What are you drinking today? I'm drinking uh, Hell or High Watermelon by 21st Amendment. Watermelon weed beer. Amazing summer beer. It's light. It's vibrant. It's delicious. Beautiful. Love it. That's great. I will be drinking for the foreseeable future <laughs> Perpetual IPA by Trogues because it is amazing. It has a golden color to it. It's there year-round. It has Bravo, Chinook, Mount Hood, Nugget, Citra, and Cascade hops. And best served in a tumbler. But I got the Ugly Oyster Redding Premium Pint. So, cheers. Ooh, what are, what are you drinking, Harry? Boulevard Bourbon Barrel Aged Stout. That sounds crazy good. Yeah, I think I think Harry has his beat. We kind of both, I think, collectively decided we can't really go out and purchase craft beer all the time for, for a weekly show. It's just not in the budget for me, at least at the moment. For me, I'm physically not trying to do that right now. Right. Um, based on my current status... So, with all that being said, you might not get the most exotic beer. We'll still talk about beer on the show. But Although, the, I will say that my second beer is pretty good. There you go. And it's, I'm all, I'm all perpetual. Maybe every other week I'll, I'll get a six-pack, but for now it's just trokes. We need to do an update on news real quick because we didn't expect to talk about Ahmad Avery last week and then have the video surface on Tuesday the way it did. It has to be addressed, and we, we kind of have to continue talking about this because it's now even more in our attention. February 23rd, Maude Avery goes for a run like he usually does, and I believe it's his neighborhood in Georgia. And two men, Gregory and Travis McMichael, decide to hunt him down and shoot him because they think he might have robbed something. Maybe. Maybe. So they cut him off, don't identify why or anything. Just tell him to stop with guns drawn on him. And not just any guns. Old boy had, like, the old double barrel get off my lawn shotgun. Yeah, how do you get to town back the way you came from shotgun? So he decides to retaliate. Like, he defends himself, gets shot. Because this is one of the things that bothered me when I was reading some of these articles. They, they say he died on the spot. No, he fights, gets shot, continues to fight, gets shot again. Then starts to run and drops. That's not died on the spot. That is fought for his life. Neither have been arrested or charged of these men, this father-son ex-cop duo. Yeah. Due to Gregory being a ex-cop, the investigation has changed hands on multiple occasions and is now being pushed towards a grand jury. So on May 5th, when the video pro uh, broke, there were actual protests. I know... Originally, a lot of the protests had been put off until the the stay-at-home restrictions had been lifted. I know Georgia had been lifted, so uh, there definitely was a protest about this. And James Woodall, the president of the 
Georgia NAACP said the modern day lynching of Mr. Arbery is yet another reminder of the vile and wicked racism that persists in parts of our country. So I, I took a lot of the information from Time Magazine, I believe, um, just to make sure I was correct with everything. But I, I wanted to update everybody on what's going on. There's a lot of efforts being made. Petitions are flying around, demanding justice, demanding an investigation on this hate crime and this modern day lynching. Uh, so we, we kind of just wanted to hit on that real quick because it's important. It kind of leads into our main discussion for for the episode. And I know it kind of starts this episode on a darker foot than we usually try to be on. But uh, we're going to transition into the sample game now just to kind of ease, ease the conversation uh, a little bit. And then we'll get into the main topic, which is reviewing the movie See You Yesterday. All right. So you ready for this? As ready as I'm gonna be. So this is this I think this is gonna be fun because we this one could be hard. Is all I'm gonna say. This uh this sample has been used on multiple occasions, so it, it might make it a little more difficult. But this is from I did this in order for the samples. This is a 1973 sample, and this is uh by the Incredible Bongo Band, and this song's called Apache. So the sample is actually before the the what we know the dun 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 dun. It's this like drum part that you hear. So that that's the sample. I really like this one. I'll give you a hint. It's a two thousand three song out of New York City. Is it made me look by Nas? <laughs> yes, it is. Isn't that incredible? I, as soon as you played that section, I'm like, I know it. I know it. It's on the tip of my tongue. Yep. So they definitely and just slowed that down a little bit to do to do that sample. Um, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give the other the other songs that sampled it away though real quick. Obviously, from the same name Apache, you're gonna get the uh, Sugar Hill Gang Apache song. Um, it's made you look by Nas. It's that's my bitch by Jay Z and Kanye. Watch the throne. And 100 Miles and Running by Logic featuring Wale. Yeah, you didn't have to include that last one. <laughs> but he's biracial. All right, here, here's another one. I think you'll like it. It's the, uh, this is a 1974 sample from Gladys Knight and the Pips. It's called Don't Burn Down the Bridge. <laughs> what song is that? Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, you gotta love it. All right. So for our last sample, it comes out of 1978. It's from Joe Sample in All My Wildest Dreams. Yep, dear mama. Said to go home, I was a fool with the big boys breaking all the rules. Said tears 
successive game than I thought I was going to be. Yeah, this I'm actually really uh, proud of you for this one. You, you got these all pretty pretty easy, so that means next week I'm going to have to step up the game. Got to go more obscure. I know. I, I I try to make sure that I'm picking the song that I think most people would get, but maybe I'll make it a little more challenging next time. Let's get into the main topic for today's episode, which is the 2019 movie See You Yesterday. It's about two Brooklyn teenage prodigies, C.J. Walker and Sebastian Thomas, building a makeshift time machine. Uh, When one of the main characters' older brother gets murdered by a police officer, they attempt to put the time machine to the test in order to save his life. So that's the main synopsis of the movie. It's directed by Stephen, Stefan, Stephen? Bristol. Yeah, it's by Mr. Bristol. Bristol is an award-winning filmmaker in the pursuit of becoming a master of the art of storytelling. His favorite films are Do the Right Thing, Back to the Future Part 2, and Jurassic Park. He attended Morehouse College in Atlanta where he met and begged Spike Lee for an internship. And there's a funny story that he shared in Vice. He said, Spike Lee is my hero and no one like me ever imagines that they'll be able to work with somebody like him. Never in a million years, let alone have him be a mentor. Just having him as a producer was a total godsend. I actually have an eight-year relationship with Spike, and that began at a screening of his documentary, Kobe Doing Work, where I bum-rushed him and just asked for an internship at his 40 Acres and a Mule Filmworks production company. Uh, he is also a recent MFA degree recipient of the NYU's Graduate Film School and 2016 Spike Lee Production Grant. Uh, this was written by Frederica Bailey alongside of Mr. Bristol, and it stars Eden Duncan Smith as CJ, who's crazy enough. Her godparents are R&B singer Lauren Hill and Rowan Marley, who's son of Bob Marley, <laughs> one of the many sons. Okay. <laughs> exactly. One of the hundred. <laughs> exactly. And she was also, she made history on Broadway. She was a, a cast member of the Tony Award-winning August Wilson's Fences in 2010. Uh, her team broke the Court Theater's earning record seven times, earning the producers close to $8 million in their 13-week run. She also was a part of The Lion King in 2011, where they were presented the honor of being the eighth longest-running musical in Broadway history and one of only five productions in theater history to play for 10 years or more. And then it also featured Dante... Critchlow as Sebastian and Astro as Calvin, CJ's older brother, and Michael J. Fox makes an appearance, a little cameo, because that's the nod to Back to the Future. Yeah, yeah exactly. Given the, the cameo in the beginning with Michael J. Fox, it's definitely that uh, nod. I didn't get a chance to watch the short. I don't know. I doubt Michael J. Fox was in the short. Uh, so that's definitely uh, something that came out of that relationship with Spike, I think. Um, I call the movie Black to the Future. That would be great. The movie is meant to... This is from a... I think it's The Verge. Yeah, the movie is meant to reflect the brutal, violent over-policing and killing of young black people. And more specifically, uh, it kind of was in response to Maddox Bradford Jr., um, who was murdered in Alabama in February of 2019. It's a really cool film, though, because you're taking a look at two smart teenage black... New York youth who aren't all, like presented as your stereotypical nerd either. They're very intelligent, but they're hustling 
They, you know, are feisty. They, they still maintain those, like, nerdy elements in terms of meeting at the comic book store and working on these projects. But they're, like, the smart, like, the smart cool. Something that's right. more, they're, I think... Realistic. Exactly, especially in today's modern times. So it, it reminded me of kids that we would go to school with. So Bristol to Vice on Spike Lee in response to his short, because, as I mentioned, this was a short before it was turned into... This production on Netflix and that was through that relationship with Spike and that mentorship with Spike Lee so in the many conversations that they had he uh Spike Lee's he reviewed them as unoriginal and trash talking about Bristol shorts Bristol goes on to say he won't lie he cried a lot <laughs> so I, I just wanted to quick dive into a brief summary of the movie what it's about without giving too much away uh but there will be a lot of spoilers I think it's impossible to discuss this movie without giving spoilers away i wanted to kind of show the relationship between spike lee and uh bristol to kind of show that it's a mentorship role you know spike lee produced it he didn't direct it or anything like that he just kind of saw something with potential and gave it a shot and kind of helped mold it to a different uh a different being and you'll see you definitely can see some of spike's influence and i don't know if that was directly from influence from the movies that he made, like Do the Right Thing, which Bristol mentioned that he enjoyed and has a lot of, uh, that's one of his favorite movies, or if that was a result of just working with Spike. So it, it again, have to go back, watch the short. That will be a fun research project. But for the, the sake of this, we're just going to focus on the Spike Lee produced movie. So do you want right. to talk about some of your takeaways on this film? I think the big one for me was showing black kids in with STEM knowledge yeah, because that's where a huge lack of diversity lies in the tech, you know, science, technology fields, engineering. So I think, I think, I think for me showing that, and then like you said, the nerdy slash, as Harry said, street smart and book smart. I think it did a really good job of highlighting more of a realistic view of kids from an area that might not be the best that are very smart and trying to make it out despite that but they still grew up in that in that environment so you so they have to have you know they're living in that environment i think a lot of movies or a lot of shows that have someone who's smart in a bad place they're so far removed from the environment because it's just a huge dichotomy. And I think this this movie did a really good job of kind of melding it together. Um, and I think it's important because it kind of shows that being smart doesn't necessarily mean being the negative connotation of nerdy. Right. You know what I mean? You can be really smart and still be, you know, you can still be in street smart. Well, you, you got to, cool. which is interesting because I like this movie a lot and it's, about getting representation for me. This is a lot of representation in science fiction movies. This is representation in, you know, the nerd is cool thing. Well, like, we, I think there's a lot of cult, not cultural, there's a lot of mainstream conversation about smart is cool now. But when you start taking about who, who pioneered smart being cool, I think you have to look at Pharrell and yeah, NERD. <laughs> You, you, you talk about this and you, you look at the Miles Morales in terms of the Spider-Verse movie. And again, that's the 
smart but cool sort of element that that's into it because you have him walk, rocking some fresh jays in this movie and stuff and to go back over to here like they are fly like they 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 aren't the you know pants are too short socks are like all the way up pushing their glasses right. back on tight like they're swagged out this whole movie i i like that type of represent representation too because when you look at the classroom too you're looking at a very diverse classroom because a lot of times you put them you put smart black people into a movie in a room full of white people. Right. The, these yeah. are the exceptions, you know. And this is yeah, showing. No, this is. And I, I think that's what it comes down to. I think I think that's a great way to frame it. It's they aren't an exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. They are on. A, they're just you know over here on scale on the spectrum of the people in that community. They're just over here as like the scientific smart kids. Right. You know, they're not just, everyone's here, and they're way over here somehow living in this in this environment. So I think they did a really good job of that, and I think it's really important because it's relatable. Mm-hmm. There are and plenty I, of smart kids. And I like the first, movies. yeah, and I like the first glimpse of the edgy side of CJ, where... <laughs> where they're getting onto the, the train and they're, uh, uh, what was the, what was the, was he Puerto Rican? What was his friend's name? What was the friend's name? I can't remember. The, the dude's trying to hit on her and she flips yeah. the switch quick. Yeah, yeah. She had like turns a- on him with like, you hear almost like the code switch type of conversation. They're talking about like this high advanced, they're, they're talking jargon, right? And okay. it switches to like, not survival mode, but, like, this is where I'm from mode. Yeah. And the dude, yeah. like, you saw the older black gentleman sitting on, like, the wall witnessing all of this. And he just kind of looks at the kid that was hitting on her. He's like, what, what the fuck's wrong with you? Just this look. But he's not even phased by what they're saying and how they're reacting. And I just really like that because he's engaged. He notices it, but... He's just not a background character. And I think that was a really big part of the movie. They, they play a lot on who's walking by and stuff like that. Everybody that's in this film was used in a very important way. And I think from a technical side and from a storytelling side, this movie is actually really incredible. I, th- I think there might be some storytelling elements that fall a little short, but you're talking about somebody who's just about to really start his career. So I, I... And, and the other thing is, I think you have to do that with a movie like this when you're talking about time travel because time travel is messy and this movie is kind of about how time travel is messy. Mm-hmm. You have to have so many of your ducks in a row when you're talking about going back in time and you have multiple timelines and things like that. Like You really have to think hard and make very deliberate decisions about small things because if you're going to go back and cha- and alter one little thing, as we know, you know, talking about the butterfly effect or something, this causality, really right? But also to that point, it's difficult when you have these multiple timelines and going back in time so much to keep everything straight and kind of really tell the story. I, I think they did a really good job of providing a way to take away a lot of those issues when they got that external uh the additional power source onto the time machine they're able to kind of eliminate any alterations that they made right in so turn. it's kind of like a but it's like right and they added another caveat into it where, where not only when they travel back anything that they had done or any time that they had been gets erased and reset but that now they only have 
the ability to go back so far. So I, I think this was a very clean approach on time travel because there's a lot of different examples that you can see time travel being this unlimited instrument where you can go back as far as you want or back so far to a certain point, but that's not really limited. And you can run into yourself over and over again with doing so and having to be careful on that. With them taking a lot of those elements out of it, they were allowed to focus on the bigger picture here, which was about this. And I think I had written this down in my notes is the reliving trauma. I think that was a really interesting element of this movie because from the movie standpoint, she's CJ's reliving trauma by having to witness her brother or her friend getting murdered over and over again. And if you take it on the outside level from that, it's telling the story of, well, let's take names away from this. Let's take these people away from this. You, We as a people and as a society are watching ourselves get murdered over and over again. It's the same story. We're talking about this was in response to the kid in uh, Alabama, but we're looking right now back in February at a kid that was murdered on a job. We can go back and see the same story over and over again. It can be told the same way. When this movie started off and the first interaction with the, the brother and CJ and the cops approached them, I immediately physically was affected by it. Like I kids. Yeah, because yeah, I was shaking. Like, I, I literally was shaking. The cops weren't in my living room. They weren't talking to me. But because of this trauma that we were exposed to over and over again, I literally got a physical response from this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like when they see us. It's sort of like that you know what's going to happen, yet you still feel it as if they're seeing it for the first time. And I, I, I thought about that too, the reliving trauma. And I kind of thought about it from from the generational trauma standpoint, you know, the idea that Mm -hmm. the DNA, the parents passing on the trauma to the child, so on and so forth down through the generations. And it's like, it's the same issue. It's the same trauma that keeps coming back up over time. Now in this movie, obviously you're going back and back through the same like small day, but you can also extrapolate that to the issue of, you know, she's, she's gone through this, so many times in just a short amount of time, she's lived through generations of you know traumatic experience. So that's kind of what I, I took away from it is the the idea of a generational trauma. You know, the, it's always the issues and the negativity that's affected just keeps coming back and back and back throughout history because of the negative experiences of our ancestors. Right. I, I like that response. I like that take on it because there were multiple elements in this movie that I think were being hit uh, over, not, not over the head, but just uh, being brought up. And the other part of it was they could have easily just left this be the officer being the main villain, the, the main person that was. And he's definitely the top dog of the, the issue in this movie. But then you got to go even further when they are trying to resolve this issue and now Sebastian is killed from somebody within his own community. Right. So that adds another layer of it. And once again, it's, it's, it's about, you know, it's about the negative influences that caused that situation to happen. And then it's also about trying to change something very, very big without having any kind of price for it. Mm-hmm. I think that's what the time travel really comes down to is you're going back to change 
something that happened. Like, you know, trying to save someone's life. Well, someone else is going to have to go in that place. You know, there's got to be a balance to things. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think that's kind of what it's talking about. You know, you, if you want this big prize, you have to pay the price. Which is kind of this conversation at the end, too, then. It, it's it's a very Spike Lee ending. It's, mm -hmm. it's open to interpretation. It's just CJ taking this last attempt on her own, running down the street, and the movie cuts. And it's... it's at least the question, okay, did did she finally understand that there is this price and there is this cost? And is she saying that she's willing to be that cost? Or is she actually going to be able to solve it this time? There, There's just so much conversation at the end of this movie. So what are your thoughts on that? How do, do you like the way that ended? Me? No, I want a fucking ending. I want an ending. <laughs> um, and that's just who I am. I, I need resolution. With a lot, uh, I think this is. I think I would have been okay with the ending if I was in a classroom or discussion-based setting where the movie ended and I had people to talk to. But it was just like one o'clock in the morning. Ruby says that she feels like it's an intentional cliffhanger to ignite conversations, and that's exactly exactly what it is. And that that's where my problem lies, though, is because it's to ignite conversations. I want to talk about it right there and then, and I had nobody to do it with. And that's where my like anxiety comes from. So it's just a personal problem. It's not a problem with the movie. It's just me. Go figure. Um, <laughs> but it, no, I think it's. I think it was a great ending. It definitely does spark the conversation. As I said, that's why I want to be in that room with people. But I, I think it also leans into the conversation of. Okay, we just watched the story play out and we heard the reasons and we saw the, the whys of who got shot, how, all this stuff. And at the end of the day, what just happened, we're going through it again. You, you know at the end of that, and, and at least how I'm interpreting it, at the end of it, someone's dying again. My thing about it was, I think it's, yeah, it's more so about, to me, about the fact that it'll never end. Not necessarily that just someone's dying again, but even if it's even more so on a on a more general sense, it's just about like it's it's an endless cycle. That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, okay. Because it's like no matter no matter what she's doing, it's gonna end up in that same exact scene where she's running, trying to figure another way out, and it's gonna cut away. Yep. And I think to me, it's not even about. I, to me, it's not vague. In that sense, I think it's more of saying, "Hey, no matter no matter how this goes, it's gonna end just like this." And I could extend it another trip. Okay. You know? So hear me out on this one. Could it not also be interpreted as as long as what we'll call it a metaphorical one person or two people, as, as long as it's only a small amount of people or person trying to make this change. It, it's not going to happen. That's, that, that, that's a good one. The only okay. way that whole thing could be prevented, theoretically, is if there were more players. I get what you mean. So, like, that could have that could have been pre prevented had the whole had the societal issues and the racial issues not be what they are. Because you're, you're shown, okay, there is the police aspect of things where there, you, you have people who can't handle a situation, which actually I need to bring up. We're going to have to take a tangent in a second. So the police problem right there. And then you also show that 
because of the policing of this neighborhood and because of the systematic oppression of neighborhoods like this, you're also not only fighting with the people that are beating you down in terms of power structure, but then you're also internally fighting because, again, you are trying to get out of the system. And if you can't get out of it in a legitimate way, eventually you, you teeter off to another alternative and you're hurting your own, your own community by doing so. So they try to address the police issue. Okay, we can't do that. We're, we're going to address the, the people that spark the issue. Okay, so we try to go about it the right way by informing the police, but they don't approach until there's actually like guns drawn and, and then that becomes another issue within there. So there's all of that. The area that I wanted to spin off to is the policing issue. We're, we're looking at these situations. We're looking at Ahmad Arbery, the citizen policing and we're looking at CU yesterday, that policing and the aggressiveness. But then we take a look at the stay-at-home protests. Minneapolis, I think, and it was uh, Harrisburg. We were just looking across the, across the nation. And we're looking at people who, one, forced their way into some capitals with weapons. We were looking at mobs of people outside of state houses with Lethal weapons, deadly weapons, some of the masks. I can't see who you are. There's a lot of issues there. And we, we look at a movie where, oh, he was going for his ID, but we were scared for our life and we weren't sure what he was doing. And, we, and we've heard, not even a movie, reality uh, of these things happening time and time again. And then you take a look over here, these people even yelling at some of these officers' faces and no officer looks scared or threatened at these moments. And this isn't me trying to say that those people who are screaming and walking around with weapons should have been killed. It's saying, look at the other side of that. It was like, nobody, like, those people at the courthouses, those people with the weapons don't need to be killed. But neither does anybody else that has been murdered. You're telling me that a kid at a park with a plague gun that just doesn't have an orange cap was more threatening than the person with an actual assault rifle yeah, exactly. Or, or a dude that's just on a jog is somehow so threatening that you have to get out of out of the truck with your guns drawn. And and that that protest point is so important because you know I remember when colleges lose like a big big school loses some kind of sporting event, mm-hmm. and I think it was Michigan State or something like somewhere in the Midwest they lost. The, they lost the national championship game, basketball. Mm. And the students just rioted. They were breaking shit, you know, destroying shit. It looked, I mean, it looked like apocalyptic, you know, like LA riots type stuff. But right. it was, but you don't see one officer being any, like, minutely aggressive. Right. In any of the videos, any of the pictures, they're just standing there taking it. And if it were the other way around, Oh, yeah. You know, it, it would be the officers that are on the offense, on the offensive. I think that's that's the important point. No one's saying to for the police to start beating the shit out of these college kids. All they deserve. <laughs> it's, it's about having enough respect for people in every situation to not go to that extreme. Mm-hmm. We can talk about the all the different things that someone could have done to change that situation but it's got to be far more reaching back than we got to tell the cop 
this is, you know, that, or we got to go tell the police now so that they know, you know, it's, it goes all the way back to how the department is run. It goes back to whose interests are rampant in the department and in the justice system, the way that innocent until proven guilty is not a thing for people who are darker, Yeah, you know, people who speak a different language or have an accent. There is, there is no, no that, and it starts there. You would have to go back in time, hundreds of years, really, mm-hmm. to fight that. And that's why my, not my fault, but your point on just one person trying to change something so significant, because it's not just a bad situation that happened. It's, it's a situation that was born out of an ingrained injustice that was done to a group of people and that survives today in the psyches of everyone in the country. Very well put. That uh, hits the nail on the head. Going, bringing it all back, like we just did at the end there, to the movie See You Yesterday. Uh, Another point that I wanted, and this is more the nerdy techie side of me coming out here, is one of the scenes when they're back in the situation, they're with the cops, and it is later in the movie... Calvin has already been killed multiple times. Sebastian has already been killed. And now they're presented with the cops again. And they're on the ground. Calvin's friend is being roughed up. And so is Sebastian. And Calvin's on the ground assessing the situation and looks over at the brochure. And this is the nerdy side of me that I want to talk about because we were talking... We're talking about time travel, and I think this is one of the things that they left in the show. We, we talked, well, in the movie, we talked about a lot of times you can run into former selves of your former selves going back in time in the same situation over and over again, and they kind of eliminated that problem where you have a almost endless reach, and they got rid of that problem. With this one, it's the recall. It's the Calvin notices... After he's been rescued, something's off. Oh, here's here's yep. here's the here's a proof. Here's like a paradox. Like here's what is this? You have my funeral pamphlet. Like what what's up here? And so you go back into the situation again, and you're looking over at this pamphlet as Calvin, and you see your funeral turn into Sebastian's funeral, and now you jump in to bring the balance again. And it goes back to the conversation that CJ and Calvin had in the kitchen. Calvin is protecting CJ a lot in this movie because he has to play the father role because the father's no longer there. So there's another trope. There's another, you know, stereotype that's, that's perpetuated in this, like the absent father. And that, But this was from another means. It wasn't left the family on his own accord. This was, I think, he was a military member and it's implied he died. So you're looking at somebody who could potentially have a future, but decides not to in order to provide, protect, and be there for the family. And that's the situation that gets put back in your face when he's confronted with his own mortality. He now knows that he was supposed to die, and he's looking at somebody that he views as the future, who has a much brighter future, who can actually, actually, I don't mean to demean Calvin's life in this, who could have a very impactful impact. Impactful impact. Impactful life. Impactful life. And he makes the decision to sacrifice himself. And it's just this, it, 
again, it become for me, it's a systematic thing. It really highlights a lot of the systematic elements at place because people are forced to make those decisions. Right. Some people who shouldn't have to make those decisions are forced to make those decisions. And it's just another, that's just another example of we're forced into this situation and there's the issues are so deeply rooted and ingrained that there's no way out of it. It's either door one or door two at this point. You know, there isn't the magical third door that gets us everything we want. And that reminds me a lot of uh, Lupe Fiasco's cover. Uh, he does a, he does a, I think it was on a mixtape. He does handcuffs, mm-hmm. where he, he's taking a, you know, you got you got people who uh, are forced to to pimp, you know, or forced to to sell drugs, and they got other people that uh, have other options. They just like choose it, and it's just kind of taking a look at that type of mentality. It's just like I, I think society looks down on people a lot where like oh you're just working at mcdonald's or you're just working at one of these chains what are you doing with your life you're in this neighborhood so you really like how could you have a future which is what those cops kind of approach these people as and it's having that conversation when you take a look at calvin's character it's that conversation of he could have easily left and gone off and tried to do his own thing but what does that mean then for his sister like, who's there to really look out for your sister? Because, and, it, and they showed, CJ ha- is it's temperamental. She, you know, and, and he's looking at it like, well, in this neighborhood, you really can't have that, that attitude and survive. Because that dude was going to hit her. Her ex was going to hit her with no question. There, there's just so many elements to it and it becomes infuriating. And I think that's another part of the physical response that I was having to this movie was because I was reminded very much that altercation with the cops initially in the movie had immediate flashbacks to being at college, walking up an alleyway with my bike and getting cut off by the cops because they thought I stole my bike. Meanwhile, my friend is on the other side of the cop car, not cut off with my roommate's bike. But I remember having the same physical feeling in both situations. And it's, it's, it's this fear. And it's, um, I, I know in the past, I usually go down this role of, this, this road of don't make generalizations because uh, generalizations are dangerous. And I started to come around to the other side of that where it's, we've been generalized for so long that until other generalizations are made and that that uncomfortable feeling is on the other foot, I, I think you can't really create any change. So when you look at a black person going on a jog in their neighborhood and they don't fit the neighborhood description, and so the generalization is black man running, he stole something. Right. You get murdered by him. And he's on. Right. So then when you go, well, fuck the police... Well, not all cops are bad. These cops shot people. Fuck the police. Fuck the police because this is this is what's been ingrained. You don't think cops are bad or your your view on cops are like they're trying to take your guns. It, it becomes a whole whole other other monster. Until I can watch a movie like that and not like physically feel affected, I, I I'm starting to see the the power of making these type of overarching arching statements. I do have one more source that I kind of want to look at, and I'm going to leave in the, the notes. It's from The Root. They have a nice list of black sci-fi 
time travel media and, and just and talking about like books, television shows, movies that will be listed in the show notes. Um, but you can actually see one of the books that is mentioned on this list in Sebastian's hand earlier in school. Which is awesome. Yeah. So that was just, that was a really cool thing. I'm like, oh, wait, no, I'm pretty sure that's what he was reading. That was really cool. I think back to maybe, maybe we'll go a little lighthearted because uh, I think it's the, one of the other great things that I mentioned quickly earlier was about showing black kids in scientific fields and showing them succeeding in those fields. These two are like wizards. They could go wherever the hell they want, want to. With their, with their education and their knowledge base. And then there's like the juxtaposition of that and their hustling to earn money, <laughs> like on the side, do, like using their smarts, mm-hmm. using their knowledge and their intelligence. Um, and I, I don't think there's enough of that in shows, movies. You know, there's, no, there's not enough of that highlighted because clear, clearly the industries that stem students would go into black people especially black women are they're very underrepresented for example i am one of two black people in my entire building Mm. the other guy the other guy's african and he just got his professional engineering license which is awesome nice there are no other black technical people at all the only other black people are clerical staff um, and you got and so, when we talk about that, it's you have to look. It wasn't too far back that that wasn't even an option. The clerical staff, like I think, I enjoy Mad Men for a lot of reasons, but I think they do a really good job of illustrating like how that started to change and, and the different times that it changed. But that that's also like we have a new. There's a new Netflix series called Hollywood that I haven't bought into or, or tried yet but that that takes a little look at the entertainment side of things so you were talking from from your side which is and like engineering and i'm going to talk creatively and and that's it's called hollywood i think it's the same person that did uh you know your scream queens your he might have done american horror story uh he, he he's in that in that role and i think for me i only really enjoy the american horror story and only up to an extent I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out, but I I think there's gonna be parts of it that I just don't really care about. I think the story's perfect, but I also think he's taking advantage of a certain climate. But no, you're you're right. Seeing I, it's been really fun to see Spider-Man uh, into the Spider Verse with Miles Morales as character, the STEM character, and that dynamic where he's multiracial. His dad's an officer. You know the 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 different takes on that cultural type of background and, and, and just those different universes. Then you have See You Yesterday. I think it'll be fun to look for a list and maybe we can put a recommendation list together of sci-fi or not even sci-fi, but movies, media, and representation in like STEM world for, for black people. Yeah, because I, I, it's important. Mm-hmm. It's important because that's where the future is. Yeah. For industries, for, you know, technology is the way forward medicine you'll always need people in medicine so I, I think it's really important to push that because that's where the influence and the change in the world is going to come from the advances are going to come from that um, and it's not to take away from the arts 
Right. But that's where you go STEM STEAM? Engineering arts. 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 <laughs> I think we're doing and we're doing enough to begin to push into arts. The thing is, art like with art, it's visible. It's out there. Mm-hmm. You don't really know that there aren't a lot of minorities in STEM in STEM subjects until you're in it. Right. Or it's talked about. Yeah. So it's extremely important because it's not as visible. I think there's an important path or a important emphasis to be put on STEM instead of STEAM and taking the arts away from it a little bit is because we talk about this time and time again, not just us, just as a culture. We are the culture. We, we set the tone for what mainstream become. It's all based off of us. And, and that, that's a lot of what art is. Alt is culture. Like, it, you can't have culture without a art influence. And since we are the influence, it, you know, it's about getting represented properly by getting our dues properly in arts. But we are represented. Like, we are there. The STEM aspect of things. There and not a, you know, oh, you know, they're artsy type of, like, the lack of appreciation for that and the value in that. But talking about, okay, you guys really do value, you know, the, the STEM elements of, of, of influence, of pushing forward and being impactful. That's why it's really important to show representation there, show people that they belong in these spaces. Because, again, you look back in history and some of the people that have had the most important impact and influences there. It looked like you and I went to the beach for a while. Right. <laughs> On a good summer <laughs> without restrictions. When outside was open. Yeah. So, but with this minute, you know, I'll, I'll give you some time to wrap up anything you want to do. So I just want to thank you for having this conversation and, and everybody that tuned in. Yeah, definitely. I just stress the importance of STEM. Definitely let people of color know that you are smart enough to be in STEM. Yeah. Subjects. That's really it. You know what I mean? Just push it. We belong. And... It, it, it has nothing to do with ability. It has everything to do with opportunity. Right. Yeah, that was great. Thank you for having this conversation. Thank you for bringing the movie up. And, you know, until next time, we will uh, catch you on the flip side. Peace. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to yet another episode of the Alternative Blacks podcast. We will be going live every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as long as the quarantine lasts. So make sure to check us out there or keep tuning in wherever you get podcasts from to hear us. We will be delivering weekly episodes. If you would like to support us, you can find us on Patreon. The The link is below. And until next time, peace.